morning, everyone. Good morning. morning. I think I got a much better good morning than Adam did. I appreciate that. It makes me feel good. Um, hope everyone's doing well here. If you don't know me, my name is Zach. I'm the pastor here at the Grove Church. Um, and if you have your Bibles, that's fantastic. You can turn to Mark chapter 12, and we'll be starting today in verse 13. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be up here. Uh, I always say this, but I want to reiterate. Is that a thing? I think that's a thing. I want to restate that it's important that we read the text along together. That way you don't know, uh, you know that I'm not making stuff up, that we're not just making up these words, but this, this word comes from Jesus' mouth. It comes from the word of God, so that's important. Today, we're going to talk about uh, Jesus, how Jesus' words can make clear the secret intentions of our heart. And that's a problem for us, the fact that Jesus exposes our heart because that's a problem because a lot of us like to hide from time to time in different uh, fashions and different in various forms and fashions. So we have to keep things to ourselves because we're afraid to be found out. We're afraid to be rejected. We're afraid people will not love us if they know what's in our heart. And that's why the best friends in your lives in reality are those who force you to be honest. Those who uh, know what's going on and they ask you how you're doing. They mean, how are you doing? They don't just mean, how are you doing? You say good, even though you're not good and they just move on and, and walk away. But those who ask penetrating questions because they love you too much to let whatever's brewing underneath to the surface or underneath the surface to be, remain covered up. And so you don't always like them in these moments, but those are your best friends. In Proverbs chapter 27, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And so it's good to have friends who ask those penetrating questions, friends who, who try to expose our heart, because this is what Jesus does. Jesus is the best friend anyone can have because he knows your life like anyone does knows more about your life than anyone else, and he sees past the smoke screens, he's past the facade, the mask that you put up, and he knows you, and yet he loves you anyway. And so the, the reality is, and I say this over and over again at the Grove, and um, I'm never going to stop, I don't think, but to be 99% known is to be completely unknown. To be 99% known by someone is to be completely unknown by them. If you're keeping that 1%, that 1% that you don't want anyone to know because you're afraid of what they might think, you're afraid of that they might reject you. That's to be completely unknown because here's the reality. If no one knows you completely, then it's impossible to feel loved. It's absolutely impossible to feel loved if no one knows you because here's what happens. If, if someone actually does love you and they care about you and they show that love to you by words and actions, if they don't completely know you, you'll always be thinking in your mind, man, if they just knew the real me, if they knew who I really was, they might not love me like they do. And so it'll be completely impossible to feel loved if you're not completely known. But here's the reality that we'll talk about today, that Jesus exposes our hearts. He knows us completely, and he loves us anyway. He's honest with us when we make secondary things primary. And that's what we're going to see today. So we'll be in Mark chapter 12, and we'll pick it up in verse 13, and we'll read this passage of Scripture. In verse 13, it says, And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true. Do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. 
Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And so the religious leaders were challenging Jesus. This is, again, another challenge of Christ. And the past couple of weeks, we've been, as we've been going verse by verse to the book of Mark, we've seen Jesus continually to be challenged by the Pharisees, continuing to be challenged by the religious leaders of his day because he was upsetting the status quo and their power, and they didn't like that. So here you have two people groups coming together. You have the Pharisees and the Herodians. And it's really odd that these people groups would come together, and I'll tell you why. Because the Pharisees were the religious leaders, the religious Jews, who led their, their religion, and they saw the Roman occupation of Israel as a bad thing, as God's judgment on them, and they were opposed to it. They didn't, they didn't want Rome to occupy Israel. Now, the Herodians were the opposite. They weren't the religious leaders, but they were the cultural leaders, and they liked Rome's occupation because they profited from it. They made money. They enjoyed being able to stew the things that the Romans let them do that the religious leaders would not let them do. So they were opposing forces, but... but they both saw Christ as an enemy. They both saw him as upsetting what they had. They both had power because of the Roman occupation. And so they, they, they were upset about Jesus and they opposed him together. They had really been scheming since the chapter three of Mark to try and kill Jesus. And in, in Mark chapter three, verse six says, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him and how to destroy him. And that's Mark chapter three. And so, they must have thought they had the perfect question for Jesus. They said, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? So they started off by falsely flattering him. And they asked him a question they thought was a dangerous one. Because no matter how Jesus answered it, it would destroy his ministry. If he said we should pay taxes to Caesar, and it was, it was what we should do, then the people who were against the Roman occupation would rise up and no longer like Christ because Christ was siding with the Romans. But if he said we shouldn't, the people would like him, but the government would come and have him arrested and have him killed because he'd be seen as this, this revolutionary, this guy who's trying to overthrow the Roman government. So no matter how he answered, his ministry would be destroyed. See, the tax they're talking about is an annual poll tax. The Romans made the Jews pay it directly to Caesar. This money went right into Caesar's personal bank account, and no one liked it. So if Jesus said it was lawful, no one's going to follow him anymore. And if he didn't, if he said it was unlawful, Rome would seize him, and his ministry would end either way. But, verse 15, knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius, let me look at it. And they brought him one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. See, Jesus knew this question wasn't genuine, but here's how this passage of scripture is typically, uh, typically preached and talked about is that, you know, you should pay taxes and you should tithe. You should pay taxes and you should give. And if you thought you were coming in after we read this, you were coming into a giving sermon, I just want you to relax a little bit. That's not what this is about. I think, I think we should give, but if, um, if that's going to make you uncomfortable and close you off, I just want you to know that's not what we're going to be talking about today because Christ's coin is not your money. Christ's coin is you. What he's after is you. See, he, he, he grabs a denarius and he says, whose image is on this? And they said, Caesar's. He's like, well, give to Caesar's what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. See, 
on the denarius had Caesar's image, but on your hearts, you were made in the image of God. And so he says, give to God what is God's. And that's you. That's your heart. And so he's saying, you can give to Caesar whatever Caesar's, but you are my image bearers. You belong to me. So give yourselves back to me. And it was St. Augustine who said, Christ's coin is man. Caesar could have whatever's his. Jesus didn't care, but he wanted them. Now, was it true that we should pay taxes and we should submit to the role of, uh, to government? Absolutely. That is, that is in this text, 100%. We should submit to government as long as they don't ask us to sin against our God or our faith. So we should submit to government, 100%. Jesus is making that clear here. Pay your taxes. Don't try and come up with creative ways to get out of your taxes or sinful ways to lie to the government and keep more of your money. That's not, that's not Christian, but that's not primarily what's happening here. He sidestepped those issues completely to talk about the heart. His point simply was that submission to governing authorities was not opposing to submission to God. They'd made secondary issues, taxes and government, into primary ones. But the primary issue was the rebellion, the resistance to God by trying to usurp Christ. Jesus said, render to Caesars the things that are Caesars and to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. See, they were astounded at Jesus' answers because he had outsmarted them. They were astounded because Jesus exposed them for what they were. God's word will do that. God's word will expose our hearts, taking the secondary things of life, things that are supposed to meant to be under God, and we raise them above God and make them primary instead of what is actually primary, it'll expose us. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed in the eyes of him to whom we must give account. See, God's word cuts through our defenses. God's word cuts through these, these facades that we put up, these masks that we put up. It lays us bare, naked, and exposed before God as utterly dependent creatures that we actually are. See, here's what you don't need me to do as the pastor of the Grove. You don't need me to come up here and tell you what you should do. Because I think most of you guys already know what you should do. Deep in your heart, you already know what God's calling you to do. You already know that God's asking you to do something or to walk in faith a certain way, but you're afraid to do it. You're afraid that if you, if you really told your wife what was going on in your heart, that she would leave you. You're afraid that if you really um, worked hard at work, like you're working for God, then you would be too exhausted to do anything else. You're afraid that if you were honest with your friends, they wouldn't be your friends anymore. You're afraid if you were generous with your money that you wouldn't have any for provision for your family. You're afraid of these things. And so you know what God's calling you to do. Most of you know what God's calling you to do. The last thing you need is another Bible study to tell you what to do. We need to run some of the plays we already know and already have memorized. And so we don't need another Beth Moore Bible study or another thing to do, but we need to get to our hearts. We need to get to our hearts. We need to give back to God what is God's. And that's our lives. See, Jesus is after more than your money, more than your behaviors. He's after your hearts. God wants your whole life, not just Sunday. He wants you to be disciples in the everyday stuff of life. 
He wants you to go to work as a Christian. He wants you to go to work as his image bearer. He wants you to play with your friends, work out with your friends or whatever you do with your friends. He wants you to do it as an image bearer. He wants you to be in relationships with the opposite sex as an image bearer. He wants you to bear his image in your marriage. He wants you your whole life. He wants your mornings. He wants your afternoons, your evenings. He wants everything. And he'll expose your heart to get it. See, most of us right now know what God would have us to do, but we don't want to do it because our behaviors aren't that bad. These are just some little heart issues we have. And so we don't want to submit to God as if God's fooled by our love for him on Sundays only. As if God's in heaven and and he sees like all of us come to church on Sunday and we sing and we listen and we pray and he's like, oh man, they love me so much. And he takes a nap for six days and he wakes up again on Sunday. He's like, oh look, they love me so much. He's not fooled by that. And so my prayer is that we would be disciples through everyday stuff of life. And, and, and here's the good news though, is that that's where joy is found. Like joy is found in being a disciple of Christ. Like goodness is found there. God's not robbing you of anything. I think so much of, of Christianity has become this, this, oh, I have to do what God says or he's going to, to, to throw a lightning bolt down and get me. He's going to make my day bad or he's going to, um, I'm, I'm going to get sick or someone I, lo- someone I love is going to get hurt or I'll have strife in my family if I don't do what God has me to do. And if I do what he has me to do, then I'll prosper and I'll have everything I want, everything I need. That's not it at all. God wants you He wants all of you, and what you get in return is all of him. Not a better job, not a nicer truck, not more money, but you get him, and that's good news because he is the center of joy in this universe. He is the center of everything that you need and everything that you long for. We just don't see it like that. Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26 26 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, these verses speak of this this invaluable, incomparable value of knowing God and being satisfied in him. And that's there for us to partake in. I think oftentimes we can't relate to these words. These words don't resonate with us. I'm gonna read them again and just think about how often these words resonate with you. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Man, that is, that is deep, right? That, like, like that scares me because I don't know that I feel like that all the time. I don't know if that describes me. Now, sure, there's days and there's times where that describes me, but I don't know if that's the overarching ethic of my life. Man, like, I wish it was. And so there's, there's times where, where we've bought into this lie that all we really need is some time off, like a vacation to get away and get right with God. And if I could just get away with the busyness of life and I could get some time off for my heart to get right with God, then, then, then I'll be okay. That God is okay with us as long as our behaviors aren't that bad, even if our affections for him are stale. We put our hope in our circumstances being rearranged and changed instead of God changing our hearts. Now, can God use vacation? Absolutely. But I think most of us go on vacation and we come back more tired than we did when we went. Vacations do not give us rest. Vacations are exhausting. 
No, they're fun. They create memories. I'm not against vacations. Like we go on vacations. I love going on vacation because I get to create memories for my kids, but I can't think vacation's going to give me rest and I'm going to come back more restful for work and more restful for church and ministry because that's just not going to happen. I'm going to come back more tired than when I left. So we find our, our rest in Christ. We find all that we need in Christ by, by, um, by coming to him, by meditating on, praying to, interacting with him, knowing and obeying him is where we get rest, joy, love, affirmation. And here's the thing. The Bible says he will come after you because he wants you that badly. He wants you so badly He wants all of you so badly that it's only if he loves you, it's only a matter of time between God takes away whatever you have as primary in your life so that you can replace it with him. And we're all pretty close to that. Anytime. We're all all just one phone call away from some sort of suffering, right? I think sometimes we think we're invincible. Like we think nothing, like that's not gonna happen to me. That's not gonna happen to, to my life or my family. But the reality is we are all just one phone call away from being on our knees and cr- sobbing and crying and being hurt so deeply. Just one phone call. All it takes is one text from someone, one call, a voicemail that could change your life forever. We're not invincible. But here's the thing. We talked about it last week that Job, or maybe two weeks ago, that Job, in the midst of losing everything he had, his family, his work, everything he had could cry out that God, blessed be the name of the Lord that he gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord because he knew his God so deeply. He knew him so well that it was okay if he lost everything. God will chase us. The whole, the whole book and story of Jonah is this idea that though we run from God and we run away from what he calls us, he's gonna chase us. Even if it means swallowing us up by a fish, He's going to chase us because he loves us too much. Adam said it earlier that, man, this is a place where it's okay to not be okay. 100%. I know we're not okay. No one's fooling anyone by pretending to be okay. Like, I, if, if I can read the Bible, then I know all of us are not okay. There's things in our lives we struggle with. There's doubt. There's frustrations. There's anger. There's all sorts of things in our heart, and that's okay. It's not a surprise to me It's not a surprise to the person sitting next to you. If we know our own hearts, surely we don't look to the person next to us and think, "Eh, they don't struggle with what I struggle with. We can't think like that. Everyone struggles. Everyone has heart issues, and it's okay to not be okay, but God's not going to let us stay there because he loves us too much. He's after our heart. He's going to expose our heart, and we should give back to God what is his and not worry about anyone else. I think oftentimes we think about other people and God calls us to something. God does something in our life. We're like, oh, what about so-and-so? What about so-and-so? You know, like, man, why, why do I have to go through this? Why doesn't so-and-so go through this? And so there's this funny, st- I think it's a funny story. Maybe it's not a funny story. There's this funny story in scripture in chapter John. I think it's, uh, not chapter John, book of John. After Jesus' resurrection, he's talking to Peter and he's like, hey, Peter, you're going to, to die. A pretty gruesome death, he tells Peter. And Peter, Peter swallows that and moves on. And then right afterwards, Peter's walking and, and he sees John. He, sees, he says, what about John? If I, like, I'm gonna die as crucified. He's like, what about John? And, and Jesus says like, you, you need to worry about your own stuff, bro. Like you're gonna be killed and crucified upside down. Don't worry about John. 
Worry about you. Worry about what I've called you to. I've called you to follow me. Just follow me. I think so many times we, we worry or we worry about other people or versus what we're going through. We see other people getting the things that we want. We see other people not getting the things that we don't want that we're getting. We worry about those things. But the call is to not look at our circumstances, but to look to Christ. Because he'll give you the strength for the day. And that's all he's going to give us, is the strength for the day. When, when the Israelites were going through the, man, throwing through the desert, um, God provided manna for the day. And if they tried to store up that manna for the next day, it would be rotten. They provided enough for the day. And I think oftentimes we look at our lives on, on this long, large scale, like, man, is this my life for the rest of my life? Is this what it's going to be like? going through times like this, struggling like this? Is this the rest of my life? But we can't think like that. We're like, God's gonna give you grace for today. And tomorrow you're gonna wake up and he's gonna give you grace for tomorrow. Don't worry about the rest of your life. Don't worry about the person next to you. Don't worry about the other person. Just worry about today. Like oftentimes in my household, when the kids are going crazy and, and, and I'm by myself and things are happening or I'm trying to give Margie a break from the kids and I just, I just take them to Walmart and they're throwing things down the down the uh, light bulb aisle, which just happened two weeks ago. Like, sometimes it's like, man, is this the rest of my life? Like, is this it? But I can't think like that. I just have to, God, just get me to bed tonight. Like, just, just, if I could just make it to my bed and pull those sheets over me, like, I'll be okay. Let tomorrow worry about tomorrow. If I could just make it to the end of the day today, then I'll be okay. The word of God has so much to say about all these issues in our life but God's going to get to the heart issue first. Do you love him? Do you follow him? Do it, is your heart rightfully, or is your heart his? And if it's not, give to God what is rightfully his. So there's this theme in scripture, and specifically in the gospel. If you come here more than one Sunday, you're probably gonna hear me preach the same message over and over again. We're just gonna be in different texts. Like Jesus is after your heart. That's not new it's not something new that I'm preaching for the first time. I think that was the same thing we preached last week and probably the week before. But man, it's here. And so I got to talk about it. Like Jesus is after our heart. But exposing our heart and being honest about where we are, even though I can say as many times as I have breath that it's okay to not be okay, exposing our heart, being honest is a terrifying process. It's terrifying. It's shameful. It can be shameful. And being honest is not all that it's, that, that, that it's not, it's not the best. I mean, it's the best thing, but it, it might not go well. See, I, I grew up in a, in, in a household that was, uh, I would say that we're Christian. We just went to church on Easter. Um, and, and so, and it was, we went to a different church every Easter I don't know if that was strategic so that we wouldn't see the same people and they'd ask, where were you the last, you know, 51 weeks um, or not? But we went to a different church every Easter. And so that was my, that was like my extent of Christianity. And, and I got saved in high school and I've shared the story before, but, um, but I got saved in high school and I really started getting serious about my faith with Christ. And I, and, and I had already um, been sexually immoral. I had already, uh, I think most kids are in there, but I had already been un- impure and uh, I went to this thing, it was called True Love Weights. Anyone ever heard of that, True Love Weights? It's like a, it's a thing. Man, that really made me, it really rocked me because here's the thing, like, I didn't wait. And if this idea that True Love Weights, like, I didn't hear anything about forgiveness. 
Um, it was just that true love waits and I didn't wait. So maybe I'm not capable of true love anymore. Like it was this whole thing that kind of rocked me to my core. So I just, I just dove in further into the sin that I was already in because I didn't see hope. I didn't see uh, forgiveness. So I just dove into the sin that I was already in. And I, but, I, but I knew I wasn't supposed to be doing it. So I just lied about it, right? Isn't that what we do? Like when someone confronts us in our sin, we just, just reach in our pocket and we just pull out a lie. Like, no, I didn't do that. That wasn't what I did. And so I did that for, for a couple of years. And uh, I'd actually stopped, for the most part, stopped uh, my sexual immorality. Uh, but I kept lying about that it ever happened. Um, but I worked up enough strength to stop it. And then I was in college and, and I was just broken by my past and broken by these lies. And, and I was reading a book and, and it, was, it had nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it was called Food for Faith. And I was supposed to do a, uh, write a paper on it. And uh, it was due at midnight. I had to slide it underneath the professor's door because I'm a procrastinator and that's kind of what I do. Um, God's still working on that, but I, I was procrastinating. So I was, I was in this chair in our dorm. I was reading this book and I just, I just felt like I need to be honest with people. So I spent the next week just being honest with the people I lied to, with the, with the women that I lied to, being honest with the, my friends who I lied to, because even my, no one knew me. No one knew my sin. So there's two, there's two of my best friends, Andrew and Kyle. And I told privately and separately, I told Kyle and Andrew both that I, I've been lying to you guys. For a, couple, for a few years, and I just want to be honest with you. I want to be honest for the Lord, and I, just, I need to tell you that, that I've been lying to you. Andrew took it really well. Andrew shared some sin in his life, some, some, um, some immoral things in his life, and we prayed together, and, and I watched Andrew get baptized for the first time in the pool, and it was just really amazing, the pool at college. Kyle did not take it very well. Kyle stopped talking to me that night, and I haven't talked to, we were best friends in high school, we spent many nights just, just laying in, in his room, just talking about God and Jesus. And um, I haven't spoken to Kyle since that night because he refuses to talk to me. See, being honest isn't super sexy. Like, it can go bad. It can go real bad. But let me tell you, I wouldn't change it for the world. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back and I wouldn't say, I'm just going to tell Andrew and I won't tell Kyle. I'm just going to tell Andrew because I know that'll go well and I'll just ask Andrew not to tell anyone. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. I would still tell Kyle. Man, I miss that friendship. I miss, I miss what could have been. I wish he was at my wedding. I wish he could have shared in these things, these milestones in my life, but he didn't. But I wouldn't change it for the world because being honest for the first time since becoming a Christian with everyone I knew, as much as it hurt people and broke people, was the most freeing thing I'd ever done. And it was like, this, like this, this weight came off my shoulders. This everything just kind of changed. And I was free to worship and I was free to run after Christ because before that day, I'd, I'd worship music be playing. I'd try and raise my hands and worship God. But there'd be this constant voice like, you're lying to all these people around you. Who are you to worship God? I don't know if that was my conscience, the Holy Spirit, the enemy. I don't know what it was. I don't really care. I'm glad that it's not there anymore because I don't have anything to hide anymore. See, if Margie comes, and, and there's been time in our marriage where I, uh, I've sinned and, and, and Margie's found out and it's been, it's been hard. But, but right now, like if Margie was to come and like, hey, Zach, we need to talk, I wouldn't freak out because I've got nothing to hide. And that's the most freeing thing in the world. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm just honest about where I am. And I'm moving forward and I'm trying to do what is good. And I'm trying to be honest. And so today, I just want to say a couple things as, as we kind of wrap this up and land this plane um, that it's okay to not be okay, but people have to know what's going on in your life. And that could be scary, but here's the thing. Jesus knows. Jesus knows what's going on in your life. And he died for you anyway. 
and he hung on a cross anyway instead of you, for you, because he knows your heart and he loves you anyway. I think so many times we, we have this idea that, man, like, God doesn't really love me right now. He just kind of puts up with me. And someday when I make it, someday when I'm reading my Bible like I should and I'm praying like I should, then he'll love me. But right now he kind of just puts up with me. He's kind of annoyed by the things that I do. But he puts up with me because his word says he has to. He says he's love and all this stuff. So he kind of just puts up with me. We have this idea that God loves some future version of me, but not the me right now. And that's just simply not true. The book of James says he yearns for the spirit he put within you. Like, like he yearns for you. That's a deep love. Like, I don't even know if I've ever used the word yearns in a sentence myself. It's a deep love for you. See, the cross, is it, a, is it cross a picture of your deep sin? Absolutely. The fact that someone had to die so that you wouldn't, that's a, that's a huge picture of your sin, but it's not just that. The cross is a, the biggest picture of God's love on display for you. You think your, your husband loves you? You think your wife loves you? And they might not even know everything that's going on in your life, everything that's going on in your heart, but God does and he loves you so deeply that he hung on a cross so you wouldn't have to. He, he took your place to, to, to have God's anger, God's wrath towards you and your sin poured out on him so it wouldn't have to be poured out on you. That's so much love. And so God knows, Christ knows, and he did that anyway. He went to the cross anyway. He knows it's gonna be messy. He knows you're gonna mess up. He didn't just die for past sins because, because all the stuff that you've done was future sins in God's eyes, right? Like, he, like when Jesus died on the cross, you hadn't sinned yet because you, you weren't born. So Christ dying on the cross, he was dying knowing all these things that you were going to do and did it anyway because his great love for you to reconcile you back to God, to bring you back into a relationship. And that, that, that call is here today for anyone who who hasn't been honest and hasn't been open with who they are. God knows, Christ knows, and the call is just to, to be open, to be honest with him and come to him and to repent from your, your lies and your hiding and to turn to him because it's so much better. And that might be hard. God already knows, but it might be hard to confess it to your loved one, to be honest with your friends, to be honest with your spouse. And, and, and this is what I'd say to you. Man, it might be it might be hard and it might go horribly wrong. Maybe there's, there, there's, there's men in here who need to share um, some stuff with their wives that they're looking at on a computer screen. Maybe that, that, that's, that's here today. And look, like that could go horribly wrong. Your wife could be so upset. They want you to sleep in a different room, a different house, a different zip code. I don't know. But I'll tell you this, that that will be the most freeing moment of anything else you could do in that moment. We don't confess to our wives or confess to our spouses or confess to our friends because it'll, it'll for, then God will forgive us. We do it for freedom. We do it because there's hope found in confessing. The book of James says we confess our sins to one another that we might be healed. Look, you're not going to beat this on your own. Whatever sin it is, it doesn't have to be that. It could be anything else. Whatever it is, whatever you're hiding from, you're not going to beat it on your own. You just can't. We confess our sins to one another that we might be healed. We decide we need to work harder, be better, and wish we were different. And it's all, it's all about that, but you're not going to do it. You can't do it. God's going to reveal your sin, and it's going to be okay. It might be hard. There might be days, weeks of tears, but it's going to be okay.
There's healing found in Christ. We can't shy away from this idea. We can't shy away from church or community or friendship because we're afraid of being known. 1 John 4, 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. There's nothing to be afraid of. Because God knows and he accepts you. That's all you need. You don't need the acceptance of someone else. You don't need the love of someone else. Is it nice that you have it? Absolutely, but you don't need it. And here's what I'll promise you, though, is that you're not, you're not going to surprise me. Anything you tell me, anything that's in your heart, anything that you've done, you're not going to surprise me. In fact, probably most of it I've done too, but you're not going to surprise me. Sometimes it can go wrong. Other times you'll have tender encouragement from those around you. But this is the power and the reality of the gospel, that we get to be deeply known by God in each other. We get to be deeply known by God and those around us. We can be vulnerable without fear of rejection, without fear of being unloved because we've tasted how sweet it is to be received by Christ and how great it is to be known by him. So before we go and we sing some songs together, I want you just to think about what is in your life that you need to bring before God and be honest to God and ask him to change. And and what is in your life that, that you might need to tell your spouse or tell someone else? What is that thing that you're hiding? I pray you just be honest and you just be open and be received by Christ because he is quick to forgive. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He's waiting for you to come. And if you're not going to come now, he's going to chase you. C.S. Lewis called it the hounds of heaven because he just felt chased by God. Everywhere he went, he found Christians and people who loved Jesus and and he felt chased by God. And, and it wasn't some magical, like, Billy Graham crusade thing that happened that where C.S. Lewis came to Christ. But, but he tells it that he, he got in the sidecar of a motorcycle to go to the zoo. And he got in that sidecar an atheist and came out of that sidecar a believer. Because God just worked in his heart on the way there and changed him. And he, he believed and repented of his sins. And he's a great theologian of, of this past uh, generation. And it's been great. I love reading C.S. Lewis. And so my prayer for you today is that uh, you don't, don't look for some magical emotional moment, but just make the choice to be honest. Be honest to God. Be honest to each other. Repent. Come to him and be received by his warm embrace. So we'll sing a couple songs and then, and then I'll come back up uh, and pray together. Everyone could just have a seat. I want to do something a little bit different than we normally do. Um, and just hope it won't be weird. Um, if you have a seat and just, I want uh, everyone just to kind of close your eyes and bow your head. Um, nothing magical is going to happen or weird is going to happen. Um, if you can just close your eyes and bow your head. Here's what I want to do. Um, if, if, if you're here today and uh, you have a part of your heart or a part of your life that you haven't fully given to God, that you're kind of holding on to or you're afraid to give to God, if you have a part of your heart or a part of your life that you haven't fully given to God, would you just raise your hand with everyone's eyes closed and, and heads bowed, just a part of your life? Uh, okay, you can put your hands down. Here's what I want to say is, is over half the room put up their hands. Uh, I guess everyone else was sleeping during the sermon, but over half, I'm just kidding. Over half the room raised their hands. And here's what I want to say is that that has to tell you that this is a place where it's okay to not be okay. And I don't want you guys to think that someone else is going to judge you or um, 
look down upon you if you're honest because over half the room has a place of their heart or their life they haven't fully given to God. So I want to pray for us um, and then I'll let you guys go. Um, let me pray. Father, I just, I just come before you, Lord, and I'm just thankful for, for the people here, God, and that, that you've brought them here, God, and we can just open up your word together, Lord, and, and, and get to know you more, Lord. And, and really today, Lord, I pray that uh, we would just know that, you're, that you fully know us, God, that you know everything in our hearts, God, and I'm, I'm thankful for that, Lord, because um, you, 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 you'll expose our hearts not to shame us, but to save us. And I'm thankful that you do that. I'm thankful that you've given us this word that pierces to the heart, Lord, that, that cuts away all the, and separates bone and marrow and separates flesh and, and just gets right to our heart, Lord. And I pray, God, that we would be open and honest enough to let that happen, to be okay that that's happening, Lord. And we would be honest about where we are and we would just strive with grace to run towards you. And Father, I pray, Lord, if there's people here today that need to be have a awkward conversation with a loved one on the way home, Lord, that you would just give them courage, give them grace, Lord. And I pray if there's someone today here who's going to hear an awkward conversation later today or tomorrow, Lord, that you would give them grace. You would show them how much grace you've lavished on their life and they can return that to this other person, God. Lord, I'm thankful for these people, Lord. I pray that as we go today that you would bless them and you'd keep them, Lord, that you would show them your goodness, in your glory, and continue to draw our hearts nearer and nearer to yours. I love you, and I pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys.